Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge in the hands and ears of you, the HR professional, and those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. Today is day two of the HR Daily Advisor's Recruiting and Talent Acquisition Week. We are running a recruiting-oriented session each day and also providing a unique piece of content on the same subject. Make sure to check out the link in the description for more details on what those sessions entail and how to register. It is free. This episode will also focus on recruiting. Specifically, we'll be discussing recruiting surrounding organizations with Hispanic workforces, including foreign national workers from Hispanic countries. A lot has changed since the last administration. We're also experiencing a recruiting crisis, so there's a lot to unpack here. I'm really glad glad to have with us today expert Jacob Monty. He is the managing partner and founder of Monty and Ramirez LLP. For over two decades, Jake has successfully practiced at the intersection of immigration, labor, and employment laws. A nationally recognized authority on issues facing employers with large Hispanic workforces, Jake has written not one but three books on the topic and speaks regularly in English and Spanish on navigating labor and employment matters in industries with heightened immigration scrutiny. His clients include professional baseball teams, grocery store chains, single establishment and chain restaurants, and leading companies in the construction and facilities maintenance field. Jake has been interviewed by major media outlets such as Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC regarding national immigration concerns. He founded Monty and Ramirez to offer an integrated approach to dealing with Hispanic workforces. He and his bilingual partners address all critical aspects of employer advocacy from immigration to union matters, workplace safety, and employment disputes. I'm also excited to share with you all that Jacob has begun his own podcast called Human Recursos, a lawyer's guide to the Latino workforce. Recursos is, of course, the Spanish word for resources. I've listened to a few episodes myself, and it is a great podcast. It really does dive deeply into a lot of topics we're going to discuss today, as well as much more. Jake has a great way of expressing and finding those issues in the law that really do require a little bit of extra care and attention. Please pop over there for a listen if you're at all interested I provided a link in the description. Jake, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here, Jim. We're glad to have you with us. What does the recruiting landscape look like for organizations that have large Hispanic workforces? Well, uh, let me talk about employers in general. Everyone that we're talking to is trying to hire, either because they laid off folks during the pandemic or because business has boomed since uh, the pandemic has receded. So all employers, whether they have a large number of Hispanics or not, are looking to hire like never before. The last time we saw such a hiring frenzy, I think was in 99. Uh, So, uh, you know, employers are are looking for new strategies and oftentimes they come to us uh, wanting to make sure that, you know, something that they're contemplating is... uh, is legal or uh, might work. So recently helped an employer in Arizona do a job fair at a Latino themed nightclub. Uh, And it it worked well because this was a construction company. They were looking to hire craftsmen. We know that the nightclub was frequented by lots of uh, Latinos and uh, it, it worked out well because we were able to lease out the place for the job fair relatively cheaply and advertise it on Spanish radio. And, you know, we ended up with about 
200 people attending and uh, we held it over two days, but uh, I'm proud to report that the company has hired 40 people. So um, I think, I think that was a success. Um, but, you know, really everyone is looking at what we call guerrilla market, marketing uh, or guerrilla recruiting. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, trying things uh, that they haven't tried before, like Facebook help wanted ads. Um, uh, even, uh, Jim, I talked to an employer last week who was going to do a pop-up recruiting uh, location inside a retail center because they, um, they, you know, many times employers forget that they have to be friendly and accessible to applicants. And when we're not in a hiring crisis, it's tempting to just say, all right, we accept applications on Wednesday and, you know, no recruiting, uh, no interviews, you, you know, uh, unless you call in advance. Now employers are having to drop those rules and say, yes, uh, you know, we'll, we'll interview any, any time. Um, and if, if their location is not in an accessible part of town, the pop-up recruiting station might be something to consider. And if you think about it, you know, Halloween stores spring up for a month uh, and then, you know, leave. Why couldn't you have a recruiting pop-up uh, center? Uh, and so, I mean, I'm working with the employer uh, as they try to do this, but it's I think it's something worth considering, especially for employers that are in an isolated uh, industrial park, uh, or in the suburbs, maybe away from the people. Uh, it's something to at least consider. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. I don't think I've ever heard of that. I mean, obviously, I've heard of job fairs, um, you know, and, and things like that, but never a pop up. But it, it's a it makes a lot of sense. You know, people, if people don't know that you're around, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to come to your place of business. It's not really how it works anymore. People don't run around with resumes and go door to door. So if they don't happen to be on the website that you're you know, advertising on or they don't know about your organization, they're not going to go to your career page. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Go to a high traffic area and then everyone will see. Yeah, Jim, one thing to remember is staffing companies have been using this tool for many years. So I, I think it, it's worth you know, considering that you know, oftentimes you'll see a staffing company you know, with a, uh, a storefront in a shopping center. So it, you know, there, there must be, you know, something to it. And, and oftentimes those staffing centers are, you know, they're, they're not pop-ups. They're, they're there continuously. So um, can I say something about staffing companies real quick? Please do. <laughs> All right. Well, and I, I like staffing companies. I represent a few. It, it's frustrating though, that, you know, many times employers are, are looking to staffing companies for you know, the silver bullet, but staffing companies are in the same boat. And, you know, I, I talked to one employer this week who said, well, you know, I'm going to call a staffing company and, and see if they can help. I was looking through Facebook and that same staffing company, you know, had a number of Facebook uh, posts uh, looking for, for people themselves. So, uh, 
you know, just bear that in mind. Uh, the staffing company definitely offers some some great uh, advantages, but you know, bear in mind that that they're having trouble finding people as well. I mean, it's one of those industries that has a very high turnover. You know, recruiter, staffing agencies. It's one of the kinds of jobs you can get without too many credentials, at least at an entry level. Uh, sort of like sales positions. And a lot like sales positions, it's very numbers oriented. So if you're not hitting your quotas, if you're not meeting, you know, meeting the number, the numbers you need to get, you know, that's a performance issue. And, and and you might not be too much pressure and you leave or you might get let go. And I think that creates an environment that, you know, is highly incentivized for them to succeed. And that's great. But I think on the other side, just like sales, they're going to go for the, the big tickets. They're going to go for the sure shots. And... I think that can, you know, that's, it's got ups and downs. I just think sometimes it means they're maybe not going to focus as much on any particular individual job as, as they need to. So I think employers really do need to take with a grain of salt. What kind of hiring are you doing? Use it as by all means, use them as part of your strategy, but I don't think it should be, I don't think it should be your only strategy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think they have a place, but relying on them, wholeheartedly, I think is, is going to leave you disappointed right now because they're in the same boat that, that you are. So I, I have some strategies that I'd like to dive into in a little more detail. And that I'll start with, a, with the one that, that seems to be most common right now, lean into nepotism. Mm. And, you know, some employers have strict policies against nepotism. I am seeing employers relax those policies now. And look, there's ways to, to still police nepotism without prohibiting it. And I'm sure you've seen policies that say, okay, nepotism's all right, but we don't want you to supervise a, a direct family member. That's a way to police nepotism without prohibiting it. But I don't think many employers look into into nepotism as a, as a way to, to get more people. Yeah, I always think it's funny that that word has a negative comment connotations. You often hear it as sort of a complaint around the water cooler. Oh, you know, they just hired so and so because, you know, they're family of, you know, this other employee. But, you know, we're not a government organization, right? We're trying to get people in the door. And uh, when we've done studies in the past, recruiting studies, vast, vast, vast numbers of employers rely on word of mouth, rely on who do you know? And it just makes sense. I mean, there are downsides. For example, um, if you rely on it too much, you might get sort of a homogenous workforce can work against your diversity efforts. But it's a it's a great way to find someone quick. You're sort of vetting them. Someone's probably not going to bring someone into an organization that, that they don't rely on or they don't trust. Although certainly that can happen. So yeah, it's a, it's a great tool, um, and I don't think it's going it's ever going to go anywhere. No, I'm sure, it, I'm sure it's been around since the since we had the first employee, right? Yeah. And, it, you know, it's like uh, whipping up a sports team, you know, uh, for a local game or something. Just bring everyone you know, and you'll have a game. You'll have a game. Um, you mentioned there were a couple other strategies you had in mind. Yeah, well, uh, employee referral programs. And, you know, look, it, it's difficult to, to talk about this because sometimes – Employers don't realize, well, I already told my employees that we need em employees. Well, that's fine, but are you compensating them for that? And I think it's important to have 
some sort of compensation program in place. Otherwise, employees aren't going to go out on a limb and recommend someone to the company. And, you know, we've seen some fees, you know, as, as high as $2,000 provided the referred employee stays for six months. But I think if you want to activate the internal recruiters, you are going to have to compensate them. Again, not just because you, you got to pay them for it, but you got to give them some incentive to to refer someone that may work out, that may not work out. If they don't work out, you know, is the employer going to resent the referring employee? It's important to put some sort of economic uh, reward in place for the employee who refers his friends or even his family members. Yeah, and it occurs to me that if you haven't been doing your due diligence from an employee experience, um, employee engagement perspective, that could hurt your those types of recruiting efforts too. Because someone might say, "Well, you know, I'm not happy here, so why would I recommend one of my friends to come here?" Oh, absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I think it, it's a it's a dashboard that you must be doing something right if you have employees willing to refer their friends to you. I think it's a it's definitely a, a positive indicator of, of the health of the company if you have employees willing to refer their friends and family. Absolutely, and, and the other thing is, by all means, give your give your employees some guidance on how to sell the job. You know, make sure your job descriptions make sense and aren't nebulous. Make sure that they have talking points because your employees aren't necessarily recruiters, right? They're not, they're not necessarily knowing the best way to express the value of the job to somebody. You know, on the one hand, you're going to get the value of them telling people a very realistic view of what the workplace looks like. And that can be very powerful. Um, when someone walks in the door and it's what they expect, that's, that's a likelihood, provided that what they expect is good, it's a likelihood that they're going to stay, um, as opposed to someone getting sold one thing and walking in, realizing it's completely different. It's not a good fit. Jim, you said something that I didn't understand, though. You said job descriptions. There's no job descriptions anymore. It's it's just, do you have a pulse and can you complete an <laughs> I-9? I mean, you know, that, those are the only requirements my clients are talking about. I'm joking, obviously. But yeah. <laughs> uh, notwithstanding the, 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 the hiring crisis, you still need to consider your job descriptions. And of course, you still need to make sure that employees complete section one of the I-9. The employer must complete section two of the I-9. And you can't throw compliance out the window as you, uh, you know, try to deal with, with hiring in, in the 2021 labor crisis. One so of the, I, sorry, go right ahead. I, I was just going to say, uh, Go to church. And I, I mentioned this in the Latino context, but I think it applies in in any context. Go to church to recruit. I have been very impressed with this uh, strategy for, for many years. And oftentimes, uh, if you reach out to a pastor, they will allow you to put a posting on the bulletin board. Oftentimes, they'll even uh, allow you to make a, a pitch uh, yourself. Um, you know, after one of the services. So church is a great way to find employees. And I encourage you to consider going to church generally, but also to, to get employees because uh, it, it's, uh, I've seen it work and I've seen it work, you know, uh, 
as a strategy to recruit all different types of employees. Plus, you get to see everybody in their best outfits. <laughs> that, that's true. That, that, that is true. You know, one of the misconceptions that people have with regard to the Latino community is that everyone is Catholic. And that used to be the case uh, by and large, but increasingly Latinos are becoming more and more Protestant. And that is, um, you know, some people have referred to it as the, the Latino Reformation, but I've seen it. Uh, you've seen Latino Protestant churches sprout up all over the country and they, they are really, um, changing the face of the Latino community. And these churches do a lot of good. And uh, you know they may have only 50 members or 100 members, but they're dynamic organizations that offer a lot of, of great services for the community. So uh, again, don't assume that everyone is Catholic. Uh, there are lots of Latinos that have become Protestant and you know, they're there's Baptist congregations, Assemblies of God, uh, um, different uh, Protestant churches that are, are sprouting up. And that is uh, certainly something to consider as you recruit. Uh, I, I'm Catholic myself, so I don't mean to disparage the Catholics. Uh, they have great bazaars. Uh, you know, we, you know, we're fun. Uh, but the advantage to the Protestant church is that they will let you actually address the congregation. Whereas the Catholic church, uh, and, and my priest in particular, I mean, he is, he never lets anyone, you know, hold the microphone. That microphone is his only. Whereas in the, in the Protestant churches, uh, you know, again, after service or, uh, during, uh, uh, a community event, they will let, uh, lay people actually address the, the congregation. And that's where you can make pitches, uh, hiring pitches. So um, remember the church and, and particularly the, the Protestant churches. Yeah, that's really good advice. Something I, I wouldn't have wouldn't have thought of. Uh, makes a lot of sense, though. Well, Jim, the other strategy is consider Spanish language media or other non-English media that is a, a, a great way to recruit folks. And what I'm talking about is you know, Spanish language newspapers uh, or radio stations. And that is a great way to reach an audience that you may not have been able to reach before. I'm talking about the, the, you know, the audience that's not on Indeed, an audience that you know, is going to listen to early morning radio or who is going to pick up a, a Spanish language uh, ma uh, newspaper or magazine uh, and, and thumb through it during their lunch hour. So I think employers are, are now uh, more than ever starting to look at these different media uh, sources as a way to recruit employees. Also a great strategy. It's funny how you have to really think of those things, you know, it's so you, it's, it's your language is your, is your identity in many ways. And, and it can be hard to remember that other perspective, right? Like when you're calling in the doctor's office, the Spanish part is second, if it's, if it exists at all, you know, and I can even remember a day, a time when it was for Spanish press two, <laughs> yeah. you know, instead of, uh, instead of saying it in actual in actual Spanish. Um, 
<laughs> I always thought that was kind of, it's like uh, kind of funny. Um, so yeah, it's, that's a great, that's another great strategy. Are you comfortable talking a little bit about sort of the change in administration and, and what role that's playing in this whole thing? Sure. Well, um, you know, I think employers generally are relieved of, from an immigration compliance point of view, uh, maybe that, you know, they're, they're happy that this administration appears to be more friendly to immigrants, uh, be they uh, high-skilled immigrants that use H-1B visas or, or just um, other uh, immigrants that uh, may be low-skilled. Uh, that's certainly good news, but employers need to bear in mind that just because immigration uh, may not be on the headlines every every day because the president is not tweeting about it, the laws haven't changed. So mm. from an employer point of view, you still have to complete I-9s. ICE is still doing inspections. And the I-9 is the most uh, important document that you have to get right in the hiring context. It applies to all employers, regardless of size. There's no small employer exception for the I-9 law. And it, it, it is a two-page form now that routinely messes employers up. So, yeah. you know, I can't emphasize that enough. In this, you know, frenzy to hire people, you still have to make sure that they have proof that they are who they say they are and that they have authority to work in the U.S. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was looking through some ads in Spanish on Facebook yesterday, and I, I noticed uh, a common violation. And I love doing this, you know, looking through want ads or, or newspaper uh, advertisements and spotting the, the illegal uh, advertisement. This one uh, is very common. It says, must have two separate forms of ID to be hired. Uh, it was said in Spanish. Uh, Necesitan dos tipos de identificación para ser contratados. Well, that's a violation of federal law because while one of the most common ways to get hired from an I-9 point of view is to show a driver's license and a social security card, that is not the only way to prove your identity and eligibility to work. You could have a list A document, for example, issued by the Department of Homeland Security. And in that case, one document would be enough. But that ad, and, and it was, um, again, it was repeated uh, by different employers. Uh, the, the substance of it was repeated is, is pretty common, but that's a violation of federal law. Remember, the employee has a choice of about 37 different documents that he or she can present in order to accomplish the I-9. You can't tell the employee what document you want to see, and you certainly can't ask for two documents when one document is enough. So just bear that in mind. Um, again, you know, the employers, I would, I would give them a point or two for, you know, you know, at least knowing about the I-9, but they're violating the anti-discrimination rules relating to the i9 so you have to be careful yeah i was listening to your episode about the i9 
I think it was maybe episode two or three and listeners, you should go check that one out because it's filled with useful information. One of the interesting things was the, um, ah, what is it? The, was it the batches, the I nine batches where, where organizations were, were not accepting people's employment or were terminating people just because there were questions raised without necessarily doing their due diligence. Oh yeah. I, I think it might've been the, um, the, uh, Chinese food, uh, chain that was hit with a $600,000 fine because they dared ask employees to present new unexpired green cards uh, after they were already hired. And this was the Panda Express case. And, you know, that seems reasonable. Asking an employee whose ID has expired to present a new ID. I mean, that doesn't seem like it's wrong, but it is because if an employee has presented a permanent resident alien card, they are they have shown permanent evidence of their ability to work in the U.S. And you cannot question them or make them produce a new card, even though that initial card expires. But, Jim, it's so complicated because if the employee presents another type of work authority document, just a normal work authority document, then you do have a duty to ask the employee to present a new document when that initial document expires. And if you don't do that and you continue to employ the individual, then you're engaging in an immigration violation. So it is complicated for employers to navigate. uh, Is this the type of document that I can accept even though it expires? Or is this the type of document I have to uh, demand proof that it has been reauthorized? Lots of uh, traps for the unwary in the hiring process. Uh, I know that anytime we publish any article, even a very basic article on I-9s, we always get a lot of traffic. It's which shows, you know, that people are, are concerned, but it's also one of those things like you're talking about these job postings that are that are making illegal, illegal requirements. Government agencies can see those ads, too. You know, I'm sure they're busy, but if they're looking for somebody to nail, um, it seems like it would be ridiculously easy for them to get some leads. And that's a good point because we haven't talked about the new Department of Labor, but this is a a more employee-friendly Department of Labor and a more employee-friendly EEOC. Uh, in that same um, you know perusal through the want ads, I noticed a number of of ads looking for men. Can you believe that? I mean, here we are, two thousand. Uh, you know, 21 and the ad says looking for men uh, to staff crew, uh, you know, that is not going to pass muster as a bona fide occupational qualification. But again, people get sloppy when they're in a crisis and you definitely need to police your uh, advertisements looking for employees to make sure that they comply with, you know, Title Seven which has been around since 1964. Remember, you can't ask for uh, a, a certain sex uh, for, for virtually you know, all jobs. I mean, it, it's not, it's not going to be permitted. There's, um, it, and this is neither here nor there, but it immediately reminds me of there's this fantastic King of the Hill episode where uh, Dale wants to sue Hooters. And so I, I know it's a little bit more complicated legally speaking, um, but so he goes and he assumes like, of course they'll only hire women. So he's, you know, he goes through the interview process and he's getting ready to sue them. <laughs> and they're like, okay, 
yeah, come on board. You know, and they make him work. <laughs> oh no, his lawsuit's gone down the toilet, right? <laughs> yep. Uh, it was a it's great. It's a great episode. But you know, it's just it's absolutely it's it's one of those things where especially when an administration changes they do announce guidelines. That's something I want to get into. And they do announce approaches. So maybe the rules don't change, but the approach to how they enforce the rules changes, but they're not going to tell you everything. And you never know if your, if your mispractices or your mistakes are going to be exactly what they're looking for. And uh, then they're knocking on your door. Yeah. And they have been known to use testers, you know, to send people to apply for jobs. Uh, to see if they get hired. Uh, certainly, in, in dem- you know, it's more common in democratic uh, administrations like we have now. So you have to be careful. Is the person who's applying really looking for a job or is he just on tape trying to get you to express a preference for a national origin or ethnicity or even sex? The secret shoppers, but with a much more serious outcome. Absolutely. Um. Let's talk a little bit about that, you know, with the change of administration, you mentioned the laws haven't changed, but their approaches have. And I know they've released some guidance, you know, the DOL and other organizations have released some guidance into how they're going to do things. Uh, do you mind just talking about what, what impact that has on organizations that hire, hire foreign nationals? Well, yes. Uh, again, um, I think we have to look at it from from both the, the perspective of the employee and the perspective of the employer. Generally, from the employee's point of view, there's a widespread uh, relief that the administration has changed. Uh, the previous administration was perceived as being hostile to all immigrants. So there's generally a, a sigh of relief, but at the same time, there's frustration because things haven't automatically changed. I mean, we still have people waiting for visa appointments consulates are just now starting to reopen because of COVID. And they're starting to, to, to be a little bit of frustration that, hey, you know, the election was in November and you know, I'm still waiting for my visa appointment. Yeah, it, I mean, I wouldn't expect things to go back to normal until the end of the year. So there's uh, relief that the administration changed, but uh, still some, some frustration starting to brew that the change hasn't been immediate. That is partly due to, you know, COVID really devastating uh, the processing of visas here in the U.S. and also the issuance of visas in foreign countries. From the employer's point of view, um, there's relief also because there's a signal that this administration is um, more uh, friendly to, to immigrants. But at the same time, you know, the laws haven't dramatically changed and employers still need to be cautious, especially when it comes to ensuring that you are paying the prevailing wage rate. A lot of visa, uh, uh, a lot of visas require that you be offering prevailing wage rates so as not to uh, hurt the wages of U.S. workers. So policing uh, wages is a is, has taken more priority under this administration. So I just caution employers, if they're using visas as a way to augment their workforce, 
you have to pay particular attention to make sure that you're complying with the, the wage requirements of the particular visa category that you're pursuing because we're seeing a lot more emphasis on that than, than we did in the previous administration. And again, it's it, it's as exactly uh, how you said, Jim, the law hasn't changed, but the approaches have changed. And under this new democratic administration, the approach is going to be more toward making sure that the U.S. workers' wages aren't being uh, undermined and also making sure that the employer is paying and treating the foreign worker properly. There's a, a topic, if you're up for it, that I'd like to discuss that we we never discuss, um, which is illegal, illegal immigrants and uh, the employing of illegal immigrants. Um, we don't talk about it because you're not supposed to do that, right? And, uh, un- you know, unfortunately, or however you want to look at it, it's just simply not the case that just because it's illegal, it doesn't happen, right? We know plenty of pe- plenty of organizations out there knowingly or unknowingly hire illegal immigrants, people who don't have the right to work here. Um, and it's a, it's a complicated issue politically, um, but I think... I think it's a pretty important one to at least address from an employment law perspective, because, for example, even if you're hiring people illegally, you still have to pay them minimum wage, right? Absolutely. Well, first, let me just say, yes, there there are you know anywhere from 10 to 13 million undocumented people in the country, and they're here. They're not on vacation. They're here working, right? And you know, calling them undocumented is, it, it's almost a misnomer because most of them have documents, albeit fake documents. And that's where the problem arises, Jim, because they have fake documents. And yes, there are some employers that know that they are hiring undocumented employees. But I would, I would suggest that many more employers are fooled by the fake documents. And we're dealing with a billion dollar industry that smuggles people into the country, provides them fake documents. Uh, And, you know, some of these documents look genuine. Uh, You know, we have retired ICE agents that help us routinely do audits. uh, And sometimes the ICE agents are fooled by the quality of the fake documents. And I think I'm so glad you mentioned this especially in the context of recruiting, because, you know, I think it's it's important to remind employers about the ground rules. And look, I always tell employers, you have to take the I-9 law seriously. You have to understand it. Basically, you have, you have to understand that you are swearing under penalty of perjury that the person you're hiring is authorized to work in the U.S. And you have to swear under penalty of perjury that he showed you documents that proved his identity and eligibility to work. Now, you don't have to copy those documents that he presented to you, but we believe copying shows good faith, and if, you know, we believe copying is a way to protect the employer. Now, the question I always get is, well, if you show, if you copy and the documents are bad, are you proving the company, the government's case for them? And my answer is no, you're not, especially because you should not be accepting documents that are obviously bad. I mean, and now the question is, you know, what's obviously bad? Well, remember, you're held to the eighth grader test. An eighth grader would know 
about misspellings. An eighth grader would know that two people do not appear in one photo. An eighth grader would know that, you know, the, the typical government photo ID does not uh, allow you to rest your head underneath your, your hand like a glamour shots photo. Uh, <laughs> now, I've created this hall of shame list uh, of real bad documents that contain misspellings, two people in one photo. The bottom line is make sure the person you hire doesn't have a document that you know, has misspellings or obviously looks like a fake. Uh, and, you know, don't hire people with those types of documents. Uh, and if, if you remember, you know, to avoid the hall of shame type documents, you're going to be all right. And you can hire the employee, even if they turn out to be undocumented, as long as you don't know they're undocumented, you know, you should hire them. Um, so you, you can't forget that, um, you know, the lines get murky when, you know, you have constructive knowledge or actual knowledge that they're really undocumented. And how could that happen? Well, if the employee says, yeah, I just bought these at the swap meet, you know, uh, you know, thanks for hiring me because, you know, they cost me a hundred bucks. When can I get paid? Because, you know, I had to pay this, this, uh, you know, the, you know, this document vendor, the, the money. Okay. That's an indication that, you know, the documents are fake and you should not hire the person. Uh, but barring, you know, situations like that, if the documents look good, you should accept them. And remember, employers are in a terrible situation because let's say you, you, you suspect the documents are fake and you say, ah, this is not good. Well, if you're wrong and that person ends up being authorized to work, he could bring a charge against the company with the Department of Justice alleging that you denied him employment eligibility because of his foreign appearance. So employers really uh, have to be careful because they could get in trouble both ways by ICE for not taking the requirement seriously or by Department of Justice for discrimination. Yeah, it's it's good to hear out loud because I think, you know, people just it's it's uncomfortable and it's and it's a uh, it's fraught. So they'd say any question whatsoever and we shut it down, you know, even if it's just a suspicion. And that's, you know, like you're saying, that's not the right approach. If if that person appears to be legitimate, then you you have every reason to believe that they are and you should treat it as such. It makes sense um, that also that you back up, back up those documents, prove it prove that, that you did your due diligence. And that's what so much of the law is about, is just simple due diligence. Yeah, definitely. But I'm, I'm, employers need to remember that um, the, the I-9 law, the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986, uh, it still applies now and it still trips up employers. And the way you protect yourself is by making sure that I-9 is completed, you complete it properly and we recommend that you you copy the documents the employee presents to you. You don't have to copy, but we think in this case, copying helps the employer. So uh, you can't forget that as you you know, deal with hiring in, in the aftermath of the pandemic. Jim, one thing that I think uh, gets overlooked also is making our hiring process a little simpler. I've been looking at applications recently and Gosh, employers you know, insist on putting so much information on 
in tiny little font and asking for information that is just not you know, related to the job in question. I've been helping many employers simplify their application uh, using bigger font, eliminating unnecessary inquiries, uh, obviously eliminating illegal inquiries too. Remember, you know, we can't ask about prior workers' comp claims or, you know, I sometimes still see, you know, some of those illegal questions in employment applications. But I think that's something else to consider is making your application friendly or applicant friendly. And oftentimes that means making the font bigger uh, and eliminating questions that aren't directly related to the job because oftentimes applicants, they will not apply if, if, or they'll struggle with applying if the application is, is too hard to complete. Uh, well, well, Jake, uh, it's, this has been great. I know we've just barely scratched the surface of all this. So listeners, please do go over to Human Recursos. Again, there's a link in the description um, where you'll get get more detail than you can imagine. Um, I know you guys are releasing on a, on a pretty regular schedule. So it'll be an ongoing, ongoing source of useful information. Th thanks, Jake, for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Jim. Look forward to talking with you again soon. Me as well. It's been my pleasure. Listeners, we are always interested in suggestions you might have for what we should cover next. Do feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HRWorks Podcast with any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general, or just to say hi. Also, please remember we are having our Recruiting and Talent Acquisition Week. There's a link in the description um, there. You can learn about all these kinds of great sessions that we're having. Uh, and do make sure to check out the HR Daily Advisor, either the newsletter or the website, because each day we'll have a unique piece of great recruiting content for you. A lot of value there, I think. Um, so I, I hope you all will at least take a look. Finally, we are now available on Spotify and Audible. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.